Hey Heritage, I'd like to welcome all of you, including those joining at each of our locations, as well as those online, to week one of our Cardiac Arrest series, where we're taking some time to look at what captures our heart, not what stops it. And it's going to be a four-week journey into a few principles that most people don't understand, and as a result, struggle in life and in love because of that. Now, as a people, as a culture, we talk a lot about life and the heart, I thought it'd be fun just to get us going today to maybe finish some of the more popular sentiments about the heart. And so what I want to do is I want to begin a popular statement about the heart. And wherever you're at, all of our locations, if you know the end of the statement, just shout it out from your location. Are you with me on that? All right, good. Here's the first one. Home is where the? Excellent. Very good. Home is where the heart is. That's an easy one. Here's another one. Absence makes the heart? Grow fonder. That's true, but my dad likes to say absence makes the heart hurt, and I think both are true. Here's another one. The way to a man's heart is? Yeah, through his stomach. That's, I don't know if that's true, but at least that's how this statement goes. All right, we're going to ramp it up a little bit for the last ones here. Cross my heart and? Stick a needle. Oh, no, no, we're not going there. Hang on. And just follow your? Just follow your heart. We have a lot to say about the heart. In fact, we can, from the bottom of our heart, have someone's best interest at heart and encourage them to simply follow their heart. But God longs for a people who will follow his heart. Men and women who have a heart after him. We can talk about the heart in a bunch of different ways. And that advice to just follow your heart is a very popular sentiment. But we find it in pop culture songs. We find it in self-help books and programs. We even find it in romance novels. Not that I read romance novels. I've just, maybe, I've just heard that that's in there. Look, look, we know it's true because these things sound romantic. That, that sounds noble. And it sells a lot of books and records. But when it actually comes to living out that advice in life, there's a lot of issues with it. There's a lot of problems related to it. And at the top of the list is that our heart does not lead. It follows. Our heart doesn't lead. It follows. Now, I want to unpack more about that statement in just a moment. But I think before we go any further, we need to take a moment to clarify and kind of frame what we mean in this series when we're talking about the heart. This large heart behind me with the cross, for our intents and purposes in the series, represents the heart of God, the essence of God, the love of him who is himself love, the heart of God. This smaller heart here represents our heart. It, it's what's at the center of our life. 
It's passion, it's desire, it's love. It's, it represents that which holds our attention and our affection. It's our heart. Now, we also need to define this pile of paraphernalia over here. This is our stuff. This is anything and everything we value. It's our treasure. It's what we pursue. It's what we protect. It's what we invest in. It's that thing we long for or even have. It's the thing we desire to buy. It's the thing we wish we had. It's the thing that defines who we are and makes us feel better about ourselves. It's our stuff. It's our treasure. And if this pile of stuff doesn't accurately capture your specific treasure, I want you to hang with me for a moment. Just imagine that it does. Because we all have things that matter to us. And that determines how we live. We place value on things that determine what we pursue, what we invest in, what we protect. And it reveals, those choices reveal a little bit about who we are. But that's not all that it does. They actually determine what's possible and impossible. It determines the condition, the location, and the direction of our heart. And the world says, follow your heart. But God has much different counsel. God says, lead your heart. Lead your heart. Take full responsibility for the condition, location, and direction of your heart. Now, we know this from a lot of different scriptures throughout the Bible. But it was the Apostle Paul, that epic church planter guy, who in a letter to the church at Colossae wrote these words. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He said, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, from that, we can deduce a couple things. First is that our heart can pursue different things. Some things good and some things not so good. The right things and the wrong things. Our heart can pursue different things. Second, it matters where our heart is. The location of our heart matters. It, it matters what it pursues. Because we can pursue lesser things and that has a ripple into our life and how we live and what we experience. And finally, we can have the ability to influence where our heart is. We can change what it follows. We can't change it. Only God changes a heart. But we can take it off of the one thing and set it on another thing and follow something different. It sounds simple, but there's a catch. And the catch relates to our treasure. You see... Our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. In fact, that's your first fill-in if you're using your sermon notes guide. That our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. So I wonder where your heart is. Who or what, in this moment, at this stage of your life, does your heart follow? See, a lot of people struggle in life because they don't understand how to influence what their heart follows. We, we try to do it by willpower, self-discipline, just sheer determination. And then only to find ourselves struggling in life, in old habits, in old practices, in places we didn't want to ever go in the first place because we don't understand what or how our heart follows. So here's the bottom line. 
as we begin this series and frame the rest of our journey. The most simple explanation is that our heart follows what we invest in. It's oversimplified, but the simplest explanation is that our heart follows what we invest in. What we pour our time, our resources, our, our energy into will draw our heart. And not just draw our heart, it will woo our heart. And not just woo our heart, it will rule our heart and ultimately lead it. Our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. Jesus understood this when he talked about serving two masters. It's in Matthew chapter 6. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me or into your device, click down and scroll to Matthew chapter 6. After giving some instruction on fasting, Jesus next talks about treasure. And as a church, having just completed a time of prayer and study and fasting, where more than a thousand people within the Heritage family were hungering after God and craving after Him, it's fitting that we too would now step into looking at the same issue. So let's look at what he said in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 24. He said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, there are different opinions regarding the origin of the term mammon. But Jason, last fall, very skillfully unpacked this concept of the spirit of mammon and how to break it. But mammon is simply a word that means riches. It's an Assyrian word that means riches. What does mammon mean? Riches. Some believe that it relates to a pagan god. Some say it's connected to a Hebrew word that means to trust or confide in. But regardless of its origin, its meaning is very clear. And it's riches, it's materialism, it's, per, it's wealth personified. And it represents material things we have or want. And it brings with it this idea of self-sufficiency that ultimately says we can do it on our own and we don't need God. That's what mammon is. It is far more than what it's often translated as money. It's far more than just money. Well beyond that. So... Our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. And Jesus, saying we can't serve two masters, is talking about our heart here. And he says, look, you can only follow one, not two. Only one and not two. Now, we may think that we can do two things well, but we really can't. And I have a 20-second reminder that just puts that back in our frame of mind. We really can't do two things well. Check this out. What's better, doing two things at once or just one? You sure? I am absolutely positive. Two times is awesome. The thing I can do is wave my head and wave. That's amazing. I've never seen anything like that. Look, I can do Hold it on, too. I'm watching this. I can just... <laughs> we really can't do two things well. In fact, do this with me. I want you to stick out your right foot right wherever you're at. All over campus, do this, do this with me. Right foot about six inches off the ground. And I want you to just spin your toes in a clockwise direction. Just do that. All right, got your toes moving clockwise direction. Okay, now I want you to take your right hand, and I want you to draw a six in the air. A six. Keep your toe going clockwise and draw a six. Can't do it, can you? No, you can't. Look, we cannot do two things well, especially when it comes to following God and chasing after Him. When it comes to following Him, we cannot do two things well. It doesn't work that way. We cannot have our heart over here with our stuff and think it's going to be over here with God and think we can go back and forth. It's not how it works. We cannot do two things well. 
We cannot serve two masters. Our heart was not created or designed to follow two. It was created and designed to follow one, to love and follow him who was and is and is to come. Now, that's really good to know. But before Jesus said that, starting in verse 24, he said something else. That if we are willing to hear, if we're willing to understand it and embrace it, it will radically change the way we live and love and relate to God. Back up with me a few verses to verse 19. And, and if you're still trying the foot thing, you can stop. All right? Verse 19 in Matthew 6. Do not stir up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now that's really good information. Investing in the right places is important. It makes sense. But what he says next is really important because he tells us why. Verse 21, words of Jesus. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is huge. This is life-changing. And, and one of the keys to breaking patterns of addiction and struggle, to, it's one of the keys to no longer doing what we don't want to do and starting to do what we actually know we should. Let, let me say it differently. Our heart will always be where our treasure is. Our heart will always be where our treasure is. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. He didn't say might be, and he didn't say could be. He said it is and will be until the status of our stuff changes. Now you may think, hang on, Sean, are you serious? It seems a little extreme. Are you exaggerating? No, I'm not. The nature of these two things, our treasure and our heart, mean that we just don't simply get to choose where our heart goes. We have to first determine where our treasure is. Because our treasure determines the location of our heart. Our heart will always be where our treasure is. We may want to have our heart over here aligned with God. But if our treasure is over here, what we value, what we pursue, what we're giving priority to, what we follow, what we find hope in, if our treasure is over there, where will our heart be? Over there, right? Our heart will be, our heart will always be where our treasure is. But listen, if we take our treasure and we move it and we align it to the heart of God and we submit it to him, we submit everything that we have, all that we own, we say, God, all that I am, all that I have, I surrender and yield to you, to all of you. Take it, use it for your purpose, use it for your glory. Everything about me, time, talent, resources. If we align our treasure with his heart, where's our heart? Yeah, buddy, with his heart. What or who our heart follows has authority over it. Our heart does not lead. It follows. And it follows what we pursue. It follows what we chase. It follows what we lust for. It follows what we give prominence to. And it looks like it leads because it comes to the front, but it's actually following what it serves. It follows what we serve is aligned to. 
then our heart will always be where our treasure is. That's one reason why Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, says what it does. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, with all of your stuff, with all of your treasure, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. Who or what our heart follows and serves has authority over it. And we'll be stuck in life until we get our treasure right. Until we ask God to change us through his son Jesus. Until there is proper alignment. There, look, there may be a question that's still lingering in your mind. Like, okay, Sean, I'm tracking, I get it, but how can we tell who or what we're following or serving? One of the easiest ways to begin to do that is to remember a simple principle. That we will sacrifice for what leads our heart. We will sacrifice for what leads our heart. And, and if we will sacrifice for possessions, we'll sacrifice for a better job, we'll sacrifice for more stuff, but we won't sacrifice for Jesus, then guess what? Mammon is our God. Even though we may want our heart to be somewhere else. Our treasure determines the location. Now, you may be thinking that money is bad and that we can't have stuff. Or you may be thinking, look, I don't agree with this. There's no risk to what I do with my stuff. My stuff is mine. It has nothing to do with the condition and, in, and location and nature of my heart. But before you determine and decide too quickly about what all this means for you in your journey of life and your spiritual journey, I want to just take a quick break for, from this deep thinking for a reminder of what can happen when we judge too quickly. So check it out. She has a fractured fibula. Mm-hmm. Given mild center, so he can be able to go on tomorrow. Daddy's gonna be so excited. That killed him. <laughs> it is never a good idea to judge too quickly, right? But yet we do it. And we often do it as it relates to issues of treasure. We judge too quickly. We either have a blatant disregard, like it doesn't really matter. Or we assume an unhealthy emphasis that God never intended. And we take things in the forms of legalism. But here's the deal. God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if stuff has us. God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if stuff has us. Listen to what Paul, the same guy, a missionary church planner guy, wrote to his student Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I want to give you a moment. You can turn there in your scriptures or scroll to it. It's, it's after Thessalonians. It's a few books before Hebrews. But it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 9. He says, those who want to get rich, also known as those who prioritize, prioritize treasure, who want things more than they want God, And that can be someone who's rich or poor. It's not about the amount of resources we have. It is about the condition of the heart, the orientation of the heart. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
Remember, our hearts follow our treasure. And without his heart in the mix, his heart in the equation, it is inevitable that there will be a downward spiral. Verse 10. For the love of money. For the love of money. The love of what? Money. It's the love of money, not money itself, that is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and and pierced, and listen, pierced themselves with many griefs. Hmm. It's possible for riches to rule our life. It, It doesn't mean we're rich or that we're poor. Either one. It's an issue of purpose. It's an issue of where we find encouragement and source of power and identity and hope. When we have stuff or material wealth, or or even if we don't, it can be an issue. But but when we sacrifice and serve and chase mammon, our stuff, then we're not serving God. It's impossible to have both God and mammon coexist. And when mammon or our treasure gives us hope, then it's likely your heart has already moved. Because our hope should be only in him who was and is and is to come. When we let stuff rule, it means we have to chase it. We have to follow it. And it will always lead us away from the heart of God. We can't follow both. And the harm, the harm that comes is to ourselves. It's self-inflicted. We pierce ourselves. There, there is a reason for why Jesus spent more time talking about possessions and treasure and money than any other thing in all of his teaching. And it's not because he thought it was evil. It's not. In fact, the next fill-in in your guide is that money is not evil, it's neutral. It's not evil, it's neutral. Because the issue is an alignment of that treasure, an alignment of those things. That's the key to it. The world will say that stuff will solve our problems. Things will make us more. Things will make us better. That there will be true satisfaction in our stuff. But Jesus never gives money as the solution for what is needed in life. It Treasure should never be a trophy. It should always be a tool as a means to his priorities. Look, this isn't just a creative metaphor, the heart and the treasure and the big heart. It's not just something creative that teaches the point. This is an accurate analysis of our spiritual reality. See, God created us. Out of his love for us, he created us with a specific part in who we are, in our wiring for him. A place that he would have leadership, he would have focus. It's the place of followership that our heart was written for is to be following him. Now, out of his love for us, he also gave us things. He, he provided things. He created things for our use, for our pleasure, and for our good. But sin turned everything on its head. And we are now tempted and actually tend to fill the space for God with our stuff. It was one of my favorite theologians and authors, A.W. Tozer, that wrote about this really clearly and really well. I want to read a section to you. He said this, There is within a human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use are verbal symptoms of a deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Now listen, here's the best part. He says, things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. 
God's gifts now take the place of God. God's gifts now take the place of God. And the whole course of nature is upset by this monstrous substitution. Our hearts will always be where our treasure is. Until we value him and what he values more than our stuff, until we invite him in to to rule our life and our heart, for our heart to beat with his, we will find ourselves in a close but not quite struggle where his gifts have taken the place of him. And life and love and a relationship to God just seems to always be a fight and a struggle. I think much of what is less in our lives, what's wrong in our life, what's less than God's best can be linked back to God's gifts having taken God's place. It's tragic, but the good news is it doesn't have to stay that way. As Paul told the church, and he wrote to the church in Colossae, we can set our hearts on things above, on him who was and is and is to come, who, who rose from the grave, and we can experience more. Because when we surrender to God, what we surrender to God can be used by God and be blessed by God. What we surrender to God, to be used by God, can be blessed by God. He doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds if our stuff has us. So, so, so what? What do we do with all this? Well, honestly, it depends on, on where God's gifts have taken God's place in our lives. It, it depends on where our treasure is, because that means that's the location of our heart. So where is your heart because of where your treasure is? It's not where we might want our heart to be or, or we hope our heart is. Our heart is where our treasure is, so where's your heart? Short of some traumatic event, our heart doesn't typically move quickly and, and make quick changes. It's usually a, sh- a slow drift. It's a slow turning. It's a fade. It doesn't normally happen fast, but slow. It happens in subtle ways. And so as we begin this series, I think there are three things we can do to undo heart drift or maybe help in our alignment or misalignment of our heart to his. First thing is to monitor your heart. Just monitor your heart. Keep tabs on it. Consider the condition, location, and priority of your heart. Talk to God about what he sees. He's the one who sees it. He's the only one who can ultimately change it. Ask him if it beats with his. If we don't give attention to our heart, it will lead us to drift, and and it will lead us into unintended destinations, whether things have been positive or negative. it's, It's from Psalm 62, verse 10. It says, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Look, as things happen in life, whether they're positive or negative, we need to monitor what happens with our heart. And that comes with accountability from others. Whether something good or bad happens, it affects the condition and nature of our heart, and we need to monitor our heart. The second thing is we need to guard our heart. To monitor our heart is internal. Guarding our heart is that external piece. It's where we have passing thoughts or we entertain a temptation or we look at images or we dwell on the past. Each of those things can push or pull our heart and lead us places we don't really want to go. That's why Proverbs 4 says this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Keep external distractions from turning your heart. When I was about six or seven years old, we went to a friend's house. We, we would go to this family's house just about every Sunday. We'd hang out with them. And they had this really cool train set in one room with a huge table. One of those train sets that had scenes all over the place, wood scenes, city scenes, military scenes. Absolutely loved hanging out in that room, watching the chain go around. And I loved hanging around the corner with all the military stuff. And I liked to play with the little soldiers. And they had this one thing. 
it was a cool army biplane that worked perfectly with those little green soldiers. I played with that a lot. Long story short, one day I let mammon lead my heart, and I took it. I stole it. Little, de- little degenerate that I was. Now listen, I, 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 don't, I, I don't, I say that's embarrassing to say that, honestly. I'm not proud of it. And I actually got caught. My friend noticed, asked his parents, his parents asked my parents on the way out the door. I got frisked. And it, was, it was in my pocket. How to get there. Bad. It was bad. Listen, I share it with you because if we don't guard our heart, if we don't guard our heart, we end up allowing external things to influence us, and we end up letting mammon lead. And that means our heart is no longer aligned to God's. We need to monitor our heart, and we need to guard our heart. God wants and can bless integrity and generosity. He will never bless the opposite. He can't. We need to monitor and guard our heart. Third thing is, we need to focus our heart. Focus. Proverbs 19.23. Hear my son and be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Now, the way is the way of the Lord. It's his love, it's his light, it's his purpose, it's chasing his heart, who he is, caring about who he is more than what he gives. And that may seem hard, but it's really actually fairly simple to keep our heart from drifting. As we monitor, as, as we guard, we can focus our heart, and we can focus our heart from a posture of gratitude. Because a grateful heart follows. A grateful heart remains. So directing our heart in the way starts with knowing, one, we're guilty. We're we're guilty of sin. And deserving of something other than good gifts. And that there is someone who saves, and someone who redeems, and someone who forgives. And if you're spiritually unresolved today, you find your heart and stuff apart from God's, I want you to know you can set your heart's aligned with his, not to be enticed by the things through his son Jesus, by giving Jesus the throne of your heart, the authority over your heart, leadership in our heart, and aligning our stuff to him. And we can be grateful because we're guilty. And out of that gratitude, we can keep our heart more aligned and our stuff aligned with his heart. Grateful because we are guilty. And if you've not given your life to Jesus, there's a prayer in the back of your sermon notes guide that can be the starting point of moving your stuff and moving your heart in alignment with God, in alignment with Him, and having new life through His Son Jesus. That's where it begins. Monitor, guard, and focus. Each of those three things are really ultimately talking about distractions, and I wonder which of these areas need work in your life. Which, which area needs some confession, or which area needs a little bit of prayer, or just some attention, some conversation with God to work out what's happening in your heart because our heart will always be where our treasure is and we cannot serve both God and mammon. So the opportunity that we all have is to set our hearts, to lean our hearts, to align our hearts, to say to God, here is my heart, broken, prideful, boastful, greedy, lustful. Here's all of me for all of you. The opportunity we have is to offer our hearts and our lives in that way. I don't want, to, I don't want you to wait until you're in a bad spot to make a decision. Like I want, you, I want you to right now realize you can change your life right now by asking God to change your heart, to turn your heart towards His and align it to His. But that is tied to how we handle our stuff, how we handle our treasure. And next week, we're going to dig into the first secret 
to conquering our stuff. The, the spirit of mammon will say, hey, don't show up, don't come back, and don't listen to what this series is about. But God says, if you will listen, if you will hear what my son has to say, what, he, what is written in my word, what he has spoken in those red-letter words, if you will listen to what he says, it will change your life. And you will start to live a life to the full. Look, God is asking us as a church to increasingly reach the 200,000 people, the Quad Cities, that don't yet know Jesus. And we, as a people, we have the goal that, to see all of them in a vibrant, personal, growing relationship with Jesus. And we can do that as we live with Jesus at, in relationship and our heart aligned, as we live as Jesus with skin on in these streets, and as we demonstrate his heart in all we say and do. As a church, we just sent over a dozen people to Chicago for the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit. That's one of many examples of the way that we can pursue God's heart. Caring for orphans reflects God's heart. And there are a number of ways that we as a church are being positioned, have been positioned, and will increasingly be positioned to radically make a difference in these cities. I cannot wait to see how God is going to do that. But our hearts have to be aligned with him, and that means our treasure needs to be aligned with him. And I know God is asking us to see asking to position us so we can see more through him for his glory and for his purpose. So here's what I want to do. I just want to have a moment to pray. I want to give you a moment to talk to God about the condition, the position, the location, even the direction of your heart. I'm going to start that prayer. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to pray that in the name of Jesus, but I'm not going to say amen. When I get to the point of saying I'm praying that in the name of Jesus, I'm going to walk away. And at that point, will be your opportunity for some personal time of reflection and prayer with God about the condition and nature of your heart. This is, this is an important thing that we must not avoid. And I want you to take the opportunity, after I pray, to have conversation with the one who loves you, who wants to use you to make a difference in this world, who wants to use your stuff to bring his, himself glory. But that means we need to make sure we're doing some other heart work that positions us to be used that way. So let me pray, then I'll step away, and our worship leaders will take us back into worship at each of our locations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my Lord and my God and my King, today we offer all of us to all of you. Father, as my brothers and sisters have their own conversation with you about the condition and location and direction of their heart, God, may you begin to do a new thing within us where we are able to submit and yield our treasure to you and align it to you so that our heart is aligned to you and you are able to bring glory to yourself. You are able to accomplish your will through us. I love that you're willing to do that. And I ask that you would show each of us how you want to bring that about in these next few moments as my brothers and sisters pray to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.